From the EPR Creations Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Wow, what a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, looking to replace their legendary head coach, Alabama, looked to a young coach who had built Florida State into a title contender. And... uh Fortunately for Florida State, that coach ultimately said thanks, but no thanks, and chose to stay at Florida State, where he already built his own program in his own image, didn't have to go somewhere else and build in somebody else's shadow, and he felt like he could better sustain long-term success at Florida State than Alabama. Now, the coach that I'm talking about is, of course, Bobby Bowden, and the year was 1986. The next year, Florida State began an unprecedented streak of 14 straight top four finishes running from 1987 to 2000. Now, of course, I could have also been just as easily talking about Mike Norvell this week. Now, history doesn't repeat, but it often does rhyme, and it sure seems like we have just finished a stanza, and we are right at the beginning of a new stanza with its own rhymes at Florida State and in college football as a whole. This was a momentous week with Nick Saban stepping down at Alabama, the end of a dominant era there, where essentially the he was the black hole, the 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 gravitational pull at the center of that Alabama universe and made them a the premier team, the premier program in college football. And now he's no longer there. And it's going to be really really interesting to see what the what the results of this are. Uh I knew back what January 4th that he was likely to step down, that he was already he had notified the trustees at at Alabama that he probably was going to step down. It wasn't 100%, but uh, I and a lot of other people around uh, Florida State were already aware of that. Now, my concern was that maybe they would, uh, that, that they might target Mike Norvell, but I, I was actually more persuaded that maybe they'd, they'd target Sarkeesian, and then the, the Texas job would be a very, very hard job for Norvell, who's from Texas, to turn down, of course. So that was my initial thought. And then as soon as Saban actually did step down, I started looking at the landscape and thinking about it and going, there's no way Sarkeesian leaves Texas, which is a better job than Alabama, for Alabama to follow Nick Saban. No way. And then I started thinking through, like, who's who would actually take that job? And then I started to get concerned pretty quickly. And I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of folks around Florida State were legitimately nervous through the end of this week. And... I, I really don't think anybody at Florida State knew 
whether they were going to be able to hang on to Norvell in this process until really the really it became evident sort of early Friday that things that the things that he was asking for were going to be were going to be addressed and that that was going to happen uh, that he was that they were going to be able to hang on to him but it was a white knuckle situation for sure and really ultimately what this turned on was not so much salary it was not about what Mike Norvell makes in his own contract what Norvell wanted was full commitment from Florida State to ensure that he can win it all at Florida State essentially let me put it this way Norvell wanted to be sure that if he stays at Florida State if he stayed at Florida State he would be in position to beat Alabama on the regular on the recruiting trail in the transfer portal and on the field yeah I think the Florida State team this year would have beaten Alabama but he wanted to be sure that going forward, he would be in position to be able to outcompete Alabama without Nick Saban. And if he wasn't going to get that at Florida State, then, well, you know, Alabama starts to look really appealing. And I'll be honest, if I were in Mike Norvell's shoes, this would have been a hard job for me not to make that move to go to Alabama. Because, I mean, think about this. Think about every day right now, every day he goes to work at the Moore Center. At Florida State, he's reminded of what just happened over the past month. It's like living in a house where, you know, you've been married for 40 years and now your spouse has died and everything there reminds you of what of, of what has been and what you don't have now. I mean, there, there's definitely still anger and grief and all of that over what happened. Now, he's completely invested in the revenge tour here, but. He wanted to be sure that moving forward, he would be in position to outcompete the best programs in the country at Florida State. That was what he wanted, and he got those commitments from Florida State. Florida State is fully committed to what Norvell needs to sustain a title contender for the foreseeable future. And as a result, Mike Norvell is going to be the coach, the head coach at Florida State for the foreseeable future. And that is huge. It's absolutely critical for the Florida State program in this moment. This would have been an ultimate gut punch or worse after the past six weeks. I mean, you think about how devastating that would have been for Florida State. Think about what that would have done just for the short term in terms of the roster. All the guys that have just come in from the portal and all of that, all of the whole roster opens up for 30 days after you lose your coach. You're talking about three to five years, you're set back. And then after what just happened with the snub and everything else, and who are you going to go out and hire? Whew. But now you've got a top five coach in, in the college game locked up for the foreseeable future. That's absolutely enormous for Florida State moving forward. Now, Kalen DeBoer is a great hire for Alabama. Uh, I, I think he was the, the best guy that they could get if Norvell turned them down. And I would have gone after Norvell had I been them because he's proven he can win in the Southeast. You put the Bama brand with him and all of that, and you're convinced that he's going to be able to to uh, attract talent. And you know he's going to be able to, to run an offense that can beat SEC defenses. But in the absence of that, I think Kalen DeBoer was the best guy they could get. Now, the question with him is, is he going to be able to pull all the recruits that Saban did. I mean, Saban was a gravitational pull in recruiting, unlike anything else in the sport. 
is DeBoer going to be able to go and pull all those players out of Florida that, that Saban got? Is he going to be able to, to do what Saban did in terms of collecting the talent at Alabama? Or is he just going to be able to, to do well, you know, maybe win a title here, you know, may, can keep contending for the SEC and all of that? Or is he going to be able to sustain? I, I, it's a tough ask to do anything close to what Nick Saban did at Alabama. And, and you know, you're going to bet against pretty much anybody, regardless of how good a coach he is. You're going to bet against anybody doing what, you know, being able to sustain anything close to what Alabama has been. And if you're thinking about this from the Florida State side, one of the things that that gets really interesting here is Saban wasn't just a great recruiter. He recruited, he recruited the state of Florida better than anybody else. Saban signed 28 consensus five-star recruits from the state of Florida. 28. When he went down to South Florida, he got the players that Florida State, Miami, and to a lesser extent, Florida had gotten prior to him being at, at, at Alabama. He just walked into those places and got those kids. Now, the question is, is Kalen DeBoer going to be able to walk into South Florida to walk into the panhandle and just flash that Alabama script A and take those same five stars? Or let's say out of those 28 guys, does Florida State maybe pull an extra one or two per year of those five stars from the state of Florida now that Saban is no longer involved. That changes the calculus. Because you add, say, four or five stars over a four-year cycle to the kind of Florida State rosters that Mike Norvell's been putting in place, especially on the line of scrimmage and especially you know your, your Amari Coopers and those kind of guys, all of a sudden the balance of power tips back. And given how invested Florida State is going to be in the recruiting side of things and in the transfer portal and in in roster maintenance and all of that moving forward, I think we may well see Florida State starting to pull a couple extra of those elite players that went to Alabama, a couple extra of those kind of players each cycle now. This was a huge huge deal keeping Mike Norvell. Now, a couple questions that I was getting during the process, you know, via Patreon messaging, email, Twitter, whatever. Probably the biggest one was this. Did Alabama really offer Norvell or was this just a Jimmy Sexton shakedown? So first thing I'll, I'll say is nobody. So in the college football hiring business, in the coaching game, nobody gets offered until they say yes. That's the way it works. So did Mike Norvell get a formal offer from Alabama? No, he did not. Couldn't have. Because you don't get offered until you agree that you're going to take the offer. (laughs) That's the way this works. Does that mean that he didn't get offered the job? No, 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 no. That does not mean that. Because you only ever hire your first choice in college football. Nobody's ever your third choice. You may... Well, okay, let's think about it this way. Let's let's back up a little bit. The same agent, Jimmy Sexton, represents pretty much every elite coach in college football. He's the go-between for everybody. So you work through him and you negotiate through him, and then he brings 
what he's been talking about with the brass to the coach and says, yeah, you know, let's just say if this were put on the table for you, would you take it? And the coach may interview with the, with the, with the brass. You have the, you know, these various interviews, whether it's zoom or anything else, coach talks with them. And then they deal numbers with, with Jimmy Sexton. And then Sexton basically comes back to the coach and says, if this were put on the table, would you take it? And only once that answer is yes, does any offer actually get made. That's just the way it works. Every school always hires their first choice, always hires the first guy that they offer. Now, I don't think any, anyone but Norvell, his family, Sexton, and the decision makers at Alabama can know for sure whether or not he had the ability to say no to the job, whether he was actually next in line. But what I do know is that key decision makers at FSU, people high up at FSU, people involved in the, in the whole process at FSU, and everyone I talked to with any knowledge of the situation, believed that Norvell had the option to go to Alabama and had the option to say yes or no. And given a little of what I also gathered from others outside of Florida State in the coaching industry, is that some people who, say, would potentially wind up on a Norvell staff believed that Norvell might be going to Alabama. That that was, a, that that was something that he had the possibility of doing every indication that I've gotten is that Mike Norvell had the choice here. Now, again, nobody gets offered until they say yes, but Mike Norvell did not say yes. So he didn't quote unquote, get offered. (laughs) So the next question I got quite a bit here was how important was Florida state's NIL commitment and, you know, otherwise in all of this. And I'll just say this very, I am, I I will say I am pretty much certain that if the battle's end had not been put together and had not been as well run as it has been, Mike Norvell would not be the the head coach at Florida State right now. I'm pretty confident in saying that. And the support that everyone involved on that side of things, the people who've donated to that and all, all of the support off the field that Florida State has gotten, and especially since that 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 amping up and ramping up since the since the the travesty, that all of that was a factor in Norvell staying at Florida State. So that's a huge deal, huge huge deal. And here's another thing to think about here: if you are Mike Norvell, think about how. All of this works moving forward for his recruiting pitch. He can now go on the recruiting trail and tell players, honestly, I turned down the chance to go to Alabama. I had the chance. Look, they wanted me to go there, but I chose to stay at Florida State because it's better here. We're... This is a better program. I like it better here. I think we can win better, bigger here. This is a better place to be. Come join me. Oh, and I'm not going anywhere because if I was going to go anywhere, I'd go there, obviously. So I'm going to be your coach as long as you're in college. Let's go win championships. 
That's a really, really persuasive message because now he can say, look, lots of coaches can tell you what they're going to do. I already showed you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be right here winning titles. I'll be right here going undefeated. I'm going to be right here. I'm not going to other jobs because I don't want to go to other jobs. This is the place to be. And this is where you ought to be too. That's a pretty dang good sell. He just basically was able to supercharge his recruiting message to elite players who might be choosing between those programs by saying, I had the same choice you've got. Same choice. Look where I chose to be. And I'm going to be here for a while. Okay, then. All right. Like I said, this was enormous for Florida State moving forward. And it was a way for, you talk about the snub, the travesty, sending the message that Florida State is a less than program. This does exactly the opposite. This restabilizes that to say, this program is not only a peer of, but based on the coaching coach's decision, was preferable to what a lot of people think is the top brand in college football. Take a quick break. Be right back. Okay, in terms of other things, uh, <laughs> the other thing that hit was uh, the, the very day that, that Mike Norvell was having discussions with the FSU administration and odds are, uh, you know, Jimmy Sexton was having discussions with, uh, with both sides on this. It finally leaked out that Florida state, uh, was dealing with punishment for an NIL violation, uh, pertaining to the Amarius Mims recruitment back in what, 2021. And, uh, Look, this has been in the works since the summer. I think I first found out about it in August or whatever, but it was one of those deals that, you know, everybody, nobody said anything about, and it was not supposed to be discussed. So uh, not, not exactly breaking news in that respect. I mean, FSU was already serving out many of these penalties in the 2023 season, you know, such as Atkins not recruiting off campus. You know, he wasn't able to do that this cycle. You know, people were, some people were, were criticizing him for his, uh, his lack of success or l- perceived lack of success on the, uh, on the recruiting trail this cycle. Well, I mean, guys, there you go. Uh, and yet he still pulled some really good offensive linemen. So, you know, the guy's a beast. But uh, yeah, this has been in the works since, uh, since the summer sort of got hammered out and, and, and taken care of then. Uh, before the 2023 season. And they've been working through what they needed to do in terms of, of all of that since then. Now, you cannot persuade me, though, that the timing of when this finally leaked out, the timing of the leak, was not coordinated. As I understand, it was not supposed to release that the, you know, the NCAA was not supposed to actually release the the case itself or release the the, the final settlement or whatever until the next day. But it then leaked out specifically on the day when Mike Norvell was in, in the process of uh, negotiating out where he was going to be. <laughs> Ultimately, look, this is, this whole thing was ridiculous. It boils down to Atkins drove Mims to a meeting with representative from the rising spear collective. And uh, that, that guy being a booster, this ends up being a violation and, you know, it is what it is. 
the, the mistake here really is that Florida State, unlike the program that, uh, as far as I understand, actually uh, turned Florida State in for this, doesn't have an office for its collective or collectives in its own athletic department facility where, you know, recruits can just happen to wander down the hall and have a meeting there without anybody walking them down there or giving them a ride or whatever. Instead that, well, there's just a, there's an office here. I just happen to find myself in, you know, different programs have that, have that situation, but um, Florida state didn't and doesn't. So easy for this sort of thing to happen. It was a little sloppy on, on Atkins and FSU's part, but, they're doing what every single other program in the country is doing and everybody in the industry knows it. And that's why everybody's been mocking this since it came out. Like, are you serious? You're going to prosecute this. Now I do wonder how much this, this case and the way that this actually worked out, how that's going to impact much bigger cases like the Jalen Rashada case that uh, is in the process at Florida and you know some of these others where the the NCAA is trying to sort of in its last ditch ep- effort to demonstrate that it actually has some oversight uh it's trying to to come in and and uh hit some of these programs after the fact on some of these things now i'll say if florida state had managed to close the deal on mims this never would have been this never would have gotten to light it never would have been an issue and honestly if Florida had not screwed it up with Rashada and Rashada was on the campus at Florida. That wouldn't be an issue for them. (laughs) I think the lesson here is if this sort of thing is going to happen, you better make sure that you land the kid that you're, that you're recruiting. That's, that's sort of the lesson that I think a lot of these programs are going to take from this stuff. It's like, well, Florida state should have found a way to make sure that Mims wound up there. They should have pulled out more stops to make sure that that guy wound up on campus. But it is what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, um, this is ridiculous. It ultimately is a slap on the wrist in terms of how much it actually impacts Florida State. I mean, Florida State materially will not be damaged by this in any sort of way. The probation, the two-year probation that uh, that this refers to is not a postseason ban. All it means is don't do anything wrong these next couple years or it's going to be harsher punishments the next time. That's all that is. And, you know, if nothing else, the show cause in play for, for Atkins for two years probably makes it more likely that he continues to be the OC and offensive line coach at Florida state over those two years. So that probably doesn't hurt at all. It might, might actually help. So yeah, it's, you know, the five scholarships and that's not five scholarships per year, by the way, that's five scholarships over two years. So, you know, it could be three one year and two the other or whatever. And I'm actually not sure. This one thing I don't know is whether or not that uh, was actually already begun in 2023 where they may have been a scholarship or two short there. So if they were already two scholarships short or three scholarships short of 85 and 23, that may already count towards the the five. So I, I don't know that for sure. It's something I'd have to I'd have to ask around about. And FSU is not exactly forthcoming all the time about who's on scholarship or how many scholarships they have and, and, and whatnot. Uh, so just not something to worry about too much, but the fact is scholarship numbers matter less now than they used to, because with NIL, if a guy is not on scholarship, but he's making six figures, well, you know, scholar, the, the tuition money and, uh, 
uh, you know, the room and board and all of that comes straight out of that. How is that any different? I mean, it, it, it really just doesn't matter at that point. So you can kind of, uh, step up and, and handle the difference there. And everybody knows that. So, yeah, I mean, yes, there is a little bit of a, you know, reputational cachet and there's certain limitations that you have as a walk on. I remember this. I, I know certain things in terms of where you fit in the hierarchy or pecking order, but even that's changing a little bit now. So again, it's just not, not that big of a deal in that respect. Uh, and I should emphasize again, this was not about the battle's end, which began after all of this and partly because of these problems, uh, and is better run than rising spear was, uh, so yeah, this is not going to impact, you know, FSU's business in that respect at all. Not something to concern yourself with more of a final illustration or one more illustration of the NCAA kind of how, how much of a joke things are at this point. I'm going to take a quick break again, be back in a moment with a little bit more uh, talking about the portal additions and, and where things are roster wise at this point. All right. So since since my last episode, which was about a week ago, there's been a whole lot of action uh, in terms of guys being added from the transfer portal and guys departing into the transfer portal and all of that. Uh, first of all, uh, Earl Little, the nickelback from Alabama, added to the roster. That's an enormous addition to me. And if you're talking about being competitive next year, uh, one of the things that I had circled on my list. So if I'm looking at, at high, I had high priorities for the roster for next year, the stuff at the top of my list were edge. Cause if you go back and I'm going to do this for uh, some video segments, once I can actually stomach watching the replay myself, if you go back and you watch the Georgia game and the bowl game, Georgia just took advantage of Florida state being soft on the edge. They over and over and over again, they just ran the football right at the edge. Florida state couldn't set the edge. Edges were back in the backers. The backers looked worse because the edge didn't hold up. And that was that. And you look at the difference between Florida State with Jared Verse on the field and with Jared Verse off the field this year. And you could see the difference. They just didn't have the depth that they needed at edge. So they needed to bring edge guys on the uh, on the roster. And they needed to make sure that they had four or five quality edge players on the roster with how they want to play defense. That's what they needed to have. That was number one in terms of priorities. Number two for me was they needed to, to shore up the nickel position because Jerry and Jones this year was, if not elite, really just a step short of elite at the nickel position. He was really, really good at the nickel position this year, and he made that defense so much better because of how he took guys away. So many teams these days run through the slot receiver, run through getting your you know their best quickest player on your third or fourth best cover guy in the slot and making hay with that. If you've got a, a lockdown nickel that changes that and Florida state with, with the way that Jerry and Jones played this year, that was a huge factor. And then ha them having the best pass defense in the country. And frankly, greedy Vance and, and Kevin Knowles are not at the level that Jerry and Jones was this year, or at least they weren't. So I was of the view that you needed to go out and find somebody who could replace Jerry and Jones in that spot. It's just what you needed to do. And honestly, Earl Little is every bit the player or can be every bit the player this year that Jerry and Jones was last year. 
It's what they wanted him for. It's what they were recruiting him for the year before when he decided to go to Alabama. And then going to Alabama, a lot of Alabama fans and, and, and evaluators and all of that were really sad to see this guy go because they thought he would explode this year for them. And now all of a sudden he's decided to go and, and, and go to Florida State. Made, made a mistake going to Alabama, rectified that mistake after year one, and he's going to plug and play. That is your starter at the nickel, nickel position. And he makes that defense so much better. Because now you've got Azaria Thomas starting on one side, Fentrell Cypress at the other. You'd like to have Green back for one more year so that you have a rotation of those three. But then you plug Little in with those two and you have three corners that are top shelf corners on a national level that can play. These are all three guys that can play next level at their spots on your defense. You now can cover. And, you know, Georgia took advantage of Vance and Knowles. And now, not going to have quite such a, an easy time in, in that spot. So that was a high priority player there. My next priority was defensive tackle. I think that I think they need to add potentially three defensive tackles in the portal. They added one more with Grady Kelly. He's a, a coming in as a redshirt junior has a couple years left to play from Colorado State. A little bit on the lighter side, I think he has to have a really good offseason, maybe add a little bit of good weight, continue to gain some strength, but very high motor player, uh, was disruptive at Colorado State. Good player, and they're basically trying to replace Braden Fisk with a guy who's not going to be as good as Braden Fisk this year, but a guy who has some similar traits with, uh, with Fisk in terms of uh, quickness off the ball, in terms of some of the sorts of things that he was able to do at that level. Uh, And of course, Kelly originally from the state of Florida. So coming back home in that respect uh, adds to the depth that you've got on the defensive tackle uh, at the defensive tackle position. And what you're hoping is you've got Farmer and Jackson as your starters next year, and then Kelly and Lyons as your next two at this stage. And then KJ Sampson basically needs to be your really step up as a fifth option uh, obviously, uh, Gil, uh, obviously, um, Dennis Briggs and Malcolm Ray both hit the portal. I think with Kelly, the way to think about it, they're trying to replace Fisk. He's not as good as Fisk, but I think what you're getting with him is someone who's maybe a little bit of an upgraded Malcolm Ray with a little bit of extra time left in the, with an extra year in the program. So you're trading Malcolm Ray who left for Rutgers and essentially you're getting in Kelly Malcolm Ray plus so a little bit better version of Malcolm Ray, a little bit more disruptive version of Malcolm Ray with an extra year. So it's a good overall take, uh, helpful. I still think you need to add at least one legitimate, like top shelf type defensive tackle via the portal. Uh, I, th- I think they, they, they absolutely need to do that, partly because I'm still not 100% that Joshua Farmer is going to be there after, after the spring. You know, maybe, maybe... Maybe he just decides to fully invest and in, in he's going to spend his one last year at Florida State and, and buy in fully there. But I think you need to have insurance just in case. You need to be ready after the spring to have a guy to plug and play there. Now, even better if that guy comes in and he can be the third in your rotation at the level of a Jackson and Farmer like what you had this last year. You, you want to add a third or fourth guy that can play at the level of your starters. Because two years ago, they had really good starters, but when those guys got hurt, 
they lost games simply because they didn't have the top level depth. And I think they need to add one more top level depth guy there. Uh, other action there. Uh, you had uh, the addition of Jalen Lucas, the utility player from Indiana. Of course, the uh, brother of uh, Ja'Kai Douglas and a guy that has serious top end speed, a guy you can put in the backfield and match up against a backer and, and, and really have some mismatches. Uh, you can put him out in the slot. You can do a lot with him. And because he's a mid, you know, he's a 10, five type guy in the hundred meters. You can do a bunch with those guys. And of course, a top level uh, kick returner. And the hope is that he can also be a punt returner. Basically you're, you're bringing in a guy primarily for special teams, but also as a gadget player that you can add not only for this year, but for the 2025 season. So good addition there. Uh, then Jalen Brown, a guy that they loved coming out of high school. They were really disappointed when he went to LSU. And then now he's being added in. And you're looking at another guy, 10-6 in the 100 meters. Adding guys that can threaten the things downfield. And then Malik Benson from Alabama. He was the number one Juco guy coming out of high school or coming out of Juco last year. Adding him for his senior year from Alabama. And he's a guy that ran sub 10-5 in the 100 meters. You're talking about next level speed. One of those guys that you watch him on some of his highlight stuff from Juco and from Alabama even. And those first couple steps are almost Percy Harvin type acceleration. I mean, it's, you know, his ability to just take two or three steps and just be gone. Very, 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 very rare speed. And that speed is something that they lacked last year. I mean, I thought last year they really missed Pokey Wilson as good as Keon Coleman was, as good as Johnny Wilson was, they were missing really the third guy with the kind of get up and go speed who could just run by you to further open stuff up for those guys. And I think they recognized the the general lack of overall sort of sub 1100 meter types type speed uh, to offset and, and go with some of the big receivers that they've got. I mean, they like Hakeem Williams. They like Kentron Portier. They like Darian Williamson, Destin Hill. These are all really good big body receivers, but none of those guys are 10, five, 10, four in the hundred meters. And with what Mike Norvell likes to do, and especially with a guy like DJ Uyunglele, who can push the ball down the field with a big arm and is a vertical thrower primarily, Norvell, his primary shot play over the years has been the post climb concept, which is a big boy post that's an over the top post. And then you pair that from one side with the climb route, which is basically a it's a cross country route is, is what a lot of people call it. Norvell calls it a climb route, uh, but it's a deep crossing route across the across the field from the other side. And essentially, the goal there is you're going to force that safety to, if it's a single safety, he's got to he's got to pick. Is he going to come up and take away the the deep crosser? If he gets distracted by the deep crosser, you throw it over his head to the deep post. If he takes the deep post, you've got potentially a window one throw behind the linebackers. If not behind them, if you've got the deep uh, single safety in the middle of the field, and the corner runs with the deep post, now as that corner clears, you're throwing into the, into that zone three across the field into the deep area. And there's just nobody there. He's running away from coverage. And now you've got a shot there against two safeties. This works out really well as well, because one safety on the, on the side of the post, if he takes the post, you throw the climb. If he takes the climb, then you probably can throw over his head for the post because the corner is going to have outside leverage 
And again, you've got some opportunities there. The thing is, in order to have the most success with that concept, you need somebody who can run away from from the corner on that deep post. And ideally, you need somebody who can get across the field really fast on that on that climb route. So if you have a 10-4, 10-5 type guy on your on the field, and especially if you have them at each of those spots, that gets much harder to cover for the defense. Now, and, and this is the same, this is the, the concept, for example, that was the one that was hit uh, on the first play against Miami a couple years ago to, to Pokey on that deep, deep post. He had the deep post. Johnny had the, the climb. You can do a lot with that. And essentially what they've done is they've thrown bodies at the speed problem that they had from last year to give DJ some options that he's going to be able to go over the top with. And the other thing is that these are also really good screen players. These are guys where you hit them on the screen and they may just, you know, slip one tackle and that's 60 yards because nobody's going to catch these guys. And then you pair that with your vertical threats, your big body types like Hakeem and Ken Trump, and Williamson and Destin Hill. And now you have a, a pretty full wide receiver room and you, you give your freshman Elijah Moore, McCoy, Camden Fryer, BJ Gibson, you give those guys an opportunity to develop one year while these older guys are going. So that allows you, I think, to to have Destin Hill as kind of a, a guy you move around between the slot and the number two position, the flanker position. Hakeem Williams is a guy you can have on the outside and be a really, really uh, a key piece for you there. Kentron Poitier can be a, a sort of a glue guy. Again, a big body type, possession type on the outside. Williamson, if he can stay healthy, is is part of that mix. And then you throw Benson first and then also Brown into that mix. And you've got some serious speed to throw into that mix and, and have and open things up for those other players. So it's a it's a good mix. And again, think also in a 16 season, how in a 16 game season for if you're going to make the the finals of the college football playoff, uh, if you're going to make the championship, you're, you better have bodies to continue to to rotate over the course of the year. You need to load manage. Think about how many receivers missed time this last year. I mean, Keon got banged up. Johnny got banged up. Uh, Poitier missed time. Darian Williamson missed time. Destin Hill missed time. Deuce Span missed time. All those guys got banged up. Ja'Kai Douglas missed time. All those guys got banged up over the course of the year. You better have eight, nine bodies at that position who can play or you're going to wind up, you know, potentially putting yourself in position where you're really limited. And so they've added to that room. Uh, then along with that, they've added another edge, uh, another two edges, actually Tomika uh, Durojaye, uh, who is a, a guy that caught my eye when I watched the West Virginia, uh, North Carolina game, North Carolina had a couple pretty good offensive tackles this year. And Durojaye was a problem for them in the bowl game. Talking about a guy that he played at about 280. This year, they're going to slim him down a little bit to about 270 uh, and let him use. He's a really explosive guy at that body size, really a similar kind of player to what you got with uh, with D walk a few years ago with with Walker uh, in the Jimbo era. Demarcus Walker is that is is kind of your comp, a guy that you can slide inside and, and have as a really disruptive rusher on passing downs and a guy that can set the edge and be a big body player on the edge and, and do so with explosive hands and, and the ability to create some problems with power from the edge. 
So a really good addition to rotate in there with Marvin Jones, Patrick Payton. Essentially, he becomes a third starter. And then they added another with Sione Lolohea. And I think that's how you say that. Uh, but uh, another guy who, you know, he was a disruptive, a quality player for Oregon State, which was a good line of scrimmage program in the Pac-12. And again, now you have essentially a fourth starter on the edge with four bodies that now now are really high quality players. So Marvin Jones, Patrick Payton, Doro Jaye, and Lolo Hea. And it doesn't matter who starts the game because all of those guys you're expecting to get 350 plus snaps. And so they stay fresh and they stay disruptive. And in each case, you feel like you've got a guy that can, that can rush the passer that can set the edge against the run and that you're not in at a position where as soon as one guy goes off the field, you're, you're, you're in trouble. You're able to sustain the level of play. And each of those guys is going to benefit from being in the rotation with the other. Now, I, I think they still could add one more edge, honestly. Uh, and, and I think after the, the spring, it'll be interesting to see, or maybe through this 30-day cycle with Alabama as well. But I think after the spring, it'll be really interesting to see if, if another edge, another really high-quality edge uh, joins in. And, and you would be looking for a guy that has another couple years to play at that point. Uh, and then, you know, beyond that, uh, DJ Lundy returning from Colorado, deciding, you know what? I'm not going to Colorado after all. Coming back, that is an enormous deal for for this team partly because of what that does in terms of Colorado poaching the Florida State roster it shows that that like look this is not a safe place for you guys to fish this is this is not the right pond this is not the right lake to come fish go somewhere else to get your players that's part of it another part is he's also a glue guy in terms of some of the other high high type talent on that defensive side to make sure that those guys are fully bought in. So just the off the field stuff matters there. But the other thing is he's as good a backer as you were going to get from the, from the portal to try to replace him. And he knows this system and you know that he's going to be a quality backer against the run all season. He's a stabilizing force, hugely important to get him back. Now you need to add one more backer, at least in the portal. I think they're going to ultimately get the guy from, uh, from uh, Charlotte after the spring, we had one more in the portal and then hope that some of the young talent develops and, and you feel a lot better about that linebacker position now with Lundy returning. Uh, then of course, Terrence Ferguson, the, uh, the guard from Alabama. I think he's a plug and play type guy on the inside was very good pass blocker this year for Alabama. When he did play not quite as good in the running game, but Give him one one off season with storms to to continue to get where he needs to go. Similar kind of body type to Keandre Jones. What you really want to have is they want to get bigger on the inside. They want to they want to be in a position where against some of the teams that that they're going to be playing down the stretch, they want to be in a position where these guys are less likely to get banged up because they're bigger bodies and they're not going to get pushed around. Uh, you know they they looked at the splits last year. And when Keandre Jones was on the field, I'll, I'll deal with this later uh, in another episode. But when Keandre Jones, Jones was on the field, they were they ran the football better. And it's just simply because of size as much as anything else. He didn't get pushed around. Uh, so doing that, there's, they're expecting to add another lineman or two as well. Uh, and then, you know, Roydell Williams is uh, the, the running back from Bama is on the uh, on, on the campus as I speak. Uh visiting there's there's still some additional stuff uh going on so 
so yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of moving pieces here. Uh, I think that also things are looking good for edge high school edge. Amari Williams, the six, five, 215 pounder. Who's a freak athlete and exactly what they need to have in the pipeline in terms of, of ben- building that edge position for the future. Uh, looks like looks good for him to potentially join the, uh, the class in the spring signing period. The roster ultimately is starting to take shape. Uh, I have the number, including Williams uh, and and a couple of the others that I expect to to come in for the spring at 89 at present. So there will be some attrition. There will still be some more attrition before the fall. And I do expect at least three additions from the portal after the spring. I think they're they're holding some spots. Just my own my own view here. So I expect them to shed another maybe six players or so, maybe seven players on the current roster before the fall. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, I mean, they brought in a lot of bodies and they're just going to kind of let these guys compete it out and figure out who wants to be there, who feels that they've been passed up and all of this other stuff and who, who's in position. This is what you have to do in today's, in today's game, let guys earn their spots. And then if they feel like they aren't going to play as much as they want, then put, put them in a position to, to go somewhere where they, where they're going to be better situated. Uh, but the roster is starting to look a lot healthier for the 2024 season. And, you know, they've added some players with some additional eligibility for the 25 season, still some pieces they need to add, but definitely a long, uh, uh, a long way further than they've been uh, on this front. So, and there'll probably be a couple players that, you know, people won't be happy about seeing leave, but uh, they're, they're in position to absorb some of the, some of that attrition and continuing to bring in guys that are, raising the floor of the, of the program and, and continuing to put themselves in a better spot, uh, talent wise. So just an unbelievably momentous week as again, Florida state putting itself in position to, uh, for its future and, and to be in position to be competitive long-term. Uh, and now Mike Norvell and that staff, they're not just at this point building for the, the distant future. Uh, they're, there's a whole lot of black air force one energy going right now with the Florida state coaching staff and with Norvell and, and, and the rest, they are ready to start the revenge tour and they are recruiting and, and bringing guys in from the portal that they think can put them in position to contend for their conference and, and give them the depth that they need to compete in the playoff. It's going to be really interesting. Like I said, super, super momentous week. Let's hope that next week, uh, when I come back to record the next one, it hasn't been nearly as momentous a week. Florida State in good position to compete from here. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Post and repost episodes on social media and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful 
to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Burt Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>